Welcome you. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan. It is the holiday season, and uh, I'm doing my very best to bring as many episodes to you during this time as I can. I've, maybe it's a tough time for you. A lot of times, you get those gray skies, man, and this time of the year, you don't get a whole lot of sunlight. It's hard to be around, so just giving a place to hang. This evening, I have Stephen Hunnell with me, dude. How you doing? Man, I'm making it all right. How about yourself? Man, uh, I cannot complain, man. You did did it all right. Thankful for you and yours this evening. I mean, you're uh, you're very welcome. Glad glad to have you out. As you know, you're welcome anytime. Yeah, man. But uh, what I was telling you right before we got going is, uh, so if I if I wear the headphones, I would be. What's in the headphones is delayed, mm-hmm. and I have no idea. And maybe I'm familiar with that. Uh, but when I'm bit. when I'm recording somebody playing music, I'll keep headphones stay in like during the talking they're out, but during the music they're in and I'm making adjustments. <clears throat> but also I've got a delay and so like uh, I'm hearing what's going live and I'm also a little bit behind in my ears, and for whatever reason that helps me with leveling. Yeah, even though I'm behind in my ear. But I can, I got my finger on the dial, and I can quickly make adjustments. Yeah, and and get your get your base level set. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe that's completely backwards, and maybe I'm a fool. I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, I think there's forums online filled with information of people arguing about the best way to do the thing, and you know, <laughs> I'm 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 the biggest fan of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Whatever works best for you is how it gets, is, is how the job gets done. I'm with that, dude. We were talking about table sauce. I wanted to bring this up. I wasn't aware of the idea of table sauce till I started hanging around them fellas from Philadelphia. Yeah, Mississippi. And um, I remember going to my buddy Daniel's house, and on the dining room table there in the kitchen. Just like what we got set up right here. Right by the salt and pepper and the napkin holder, there was some table sauce. Yeah, table sauce. And then I went over to my buddy Lee Carl's. I saw the table. Same thing. Then I started going out to some of the the, count, uh, the cabins out there in the Shelby County Fairgrounds. Oh, man. Um, table sauce galore. Oh, galore. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, funny thing, depending on the... Depending on the the cabins that you go to, like you got to find out which cabin has the best sauce. That's another thing because everybody has their own. Right. It may be uh, the way that Grandma used to do it, or it may be. I mean, shout out to these guys. I would give them a shout out right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that's Pop, good stuff. Papa Lens, dude. Papa Lens. You check that out. Y'all said uh, you can get you a bottle at the Neon Pig. Yes. Or you can go online and mask. Yep. Mass, mass, mass bulk it. It's, it's, man, that's good stuff. That would definitely be. I've got some, uh, this probably came from like a Kroger or a Walmart, but it's, uh, uh, it's a lot of, a lot of the sauce that I see on tables in Philadelphia. It's, uh, uh, Tamioka. Mm-hmm. It's got like a, like a, a luchador mm-hmm. on the bottle with the flag. And it's, uh, it's a red sauce and it's, it's, it's hot. Yeah. 
and right there along with the salt pepper and the and the table sauce bottle is is bag of tortilla chips and so whenever you're hanging around and I, and, I, and again i think that's just the way that life is done there it might be a little bit slower and it might be like what we're doing right now is we're we're having a table talk so you got something to you got a little table sauce i mean right um you know i i, I was you, you was talking about that earlier and i was i was kind of thinking on that a little bit and i remember back in my childhood seeing more of that than you do now kind of goes away it kind of goes away because um, i remember like being at my grandparents house stuff like that of course you know Papa and Nana, they were always always frying up some catfish, stuff like that, you know. Um, That's what you need it for, man. I them, mean, right, right. Puppies. So there was there was always at least, you know, a, a little bottle of Tabasco or uh, Texas Pete, mm-hmm. something or another, on the table pretty much at, at all times. Mm-hmm. Used to be a counter. There was a time, and I'll, I'll say this, and I think it's just because of uh, uh, probably thievery, but there were a time when you would go into your mom-and-pop diners or even a Waffle House to where you would have table sauce on each dining table. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of gone away from that now. Mm-hmm. And now Waffle House has gotten kind of wise to it, and they sell it to you in the pack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well... I believe that there's a there's a lot of changing going on in a lot of different ways due to thievery and all that good stuff. But you know, uh, yeah. jumping it directly to as simple as the table sauce is a pretty good way to start. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you 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 don't get the sauce at the tables hardly anymore. It's just little packets, mm-hmm. and they kind of watch them now. It's like. Dude, I remember, like, there was one diner when I was living down in Mobile, and it happened while I was down there. And, you know, imagine, like, a, you know, a Waffle House-style, like, diner, but, like, what you would see in a movie. Okay. You know, you walk in there, and, like, everyone knows the waitress. And right when you sit down, she's pouring the coffee. you got the coffee and the creamer and the sugar packets lined out, along with yep. the table sauce. Yep. I've seen some of those places now to where it has to be requested. They won't even bring it out, and they asking how many you want. How right. many? How many sugar packs? There was a there was a place in Montrose, Colorado, and it's called DJ's Diner. Okay, hmm. and what it was was a very authentic. 50s, 60s style, like we're talking full out um, reflective metal sided oh, yeah. building, like to the T, old school I'm diner. Th- I'm thinking of what like a steak and shake tries to be. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, homemade milkshakes and great diner food, you know, get burgers, you know. Chicken nuggets, oh, yeah. or chicken strips. Sorry, um, you know all the things that you would get at any diner, just localized um, Philly cheesesteaks, just cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah. 
and absolutely just greasy, horrible for you, but like oh, yeah. so delicious. And on the um, weekends, they might even stay open a little bit later for you, just in case you needed to sober up. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but you know the they they had the same thing. You know you they always had like all their sauces and pretty much everything everything out. And I've noticed that over uh, over time that those have kind of disappeared, or the bottles have just shrunk to like nothingness. One of the two. Yeah, a lot of shrinkflation or whatever. Yeah, shrinkflation, yeah. But, man, and I, like, while we're on that, is I think, at least in my mind, and, man, I, maybe, I'm not a, maybe I'm not alone, but it seems like take the uh, the ranch house on the east side. Yeah. Uh, it was closed down for a while. I think COVID hit it hard. Now it's under new management. It's coming back. But, like, I, I think people are kind of hungry for, like, that style of sitting down and eating. And then again, like, why can't these things work anymore? It seems like it's so hard. It is. To and have a good thing. It is. And, you know, <laughs> you know I, think, I think locally that, you know, that, that particular location has been attempted mm. so many times. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, as, as, a, as a local culture, I mean, there's all kinds of memories and stuff in that in that restaurant, in that location, in that building because it's been the same layout. Oh yeah, and also, dude, I think about as far as like local culture. At a time, that was where the bikers would meet. Right. Right. And uh, I remember when they used to meet at Sonic. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I've you know I've been around this. I've been kicking. I've been kicking around this area for a while, and like. I've never rode with those guys, but I knew a lot of those guys. Right. And so, like, a lot of times when they would get to telling a story, that's where the story would begin or end. So, back, it's going to take you to a, to a random story, um, but it, it involves Sonic, and, and around the time frame, we're like, that's where the... This is back when Sonic still was throwing their bike night. Yeah. Well, back in the summer of oh seven oh eight, going into my senior year, I didn't have a car or anything yet. So I took a Huffy cruiser bike. And through like a it sounds like Dustin Gibson's got to be in this com- in the mix. Well, somewhere. I mean, uh, he's hey, he, he, <laughs> this has got him rode all over it somehow. Well, um, <laughs> Mr. Gibson's been hanging out with the Honnell boys for a long time, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure who's rubbed off on who. Um, but I put like a there's a little kit that you could get you you could order online for like 150 200 bucks at the top. Yeah. I think you can still get them for relatively cheap. Um, there's some modification and some fabrication required in getting it together, but like once you got it together and running, you've got like a two-stroke bicycle that is technically classified as such at least at the time, uh, and I don't think it's changed in the state of Mississippi. So, like... A dude uh, the other night was trying to tell me, and I don't think he had just moved here from California. Mm-hmm. 
And the rule in California when it came to bikes of that nature, to whether it be in street legal or whatever the definition you want mm-hmm. to put on it, was by how fast it could go. It had to go. Right. I, so, And there was a magic number, and I think it was like 28. Gotcha. So I'm not familiar with, with out there at all. But at the time when we were, because it, it ended up being, you know, dad, my stepmom, my brother, and me all had these. Oh, it was a family affair. Yeah. Oh, dude. And like. Trips have been taken from like Columbus to West Point to Vernon. Oh man, y'all, um, y'all was getting into them one way. Man, right? But you were getting like seventy-five to a hundred a gallon. Yeah. As far as like miles Dude, per gallon, I'm about to put uh, two dollars in this thing, and we're about to go. Uh, <laughs> about to go around the world. I mean, right. I mean, given you had to, you had to mix your two-stroke oil, but and you sounded like a whole whole swarm of bumblebees going down the road. And that had to be so funny. But no, we, you know, it'd be it, it was because like it didn't matter where we went if we were riding together or just riding solo, like you were going to get stopped. Because people were like going to ask about it because yeah. not a whole lot of people at the time really knew about it, and there, there was a few folks that because there's an old idea, the the kid is actually, I want to say, post World War II to Cold War design frame, yeah, um, that is just that had just been you know kind of re redone and done and sold. But uh, I used to ride that thing up to bike night at Sonic <laughs> because why not? I'm picturing like a like a dumb and dumber on the motorcycle. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Ding ding. Right, but <laughs> you know the the guys up there were cool because like they got what I was doing, and I mean it was a rattle trap. But it was street legal. Yeah. And I was topping out somewhere between 35 and 40 miles an hour. Now, the trick in Mississippi, getting back to the laws that we were talking about earlier, is pedal assist. If I stop, I have to pedal it to start. Oh. So, I can't just push button or crank it and go. I have to pull in the clutch. I have to pedal it, get to moving speed, pop the clutch out, give it gas. Well, but every time it started, it felt like he was coming alive too. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was one. It was um, one the Papa Willie. I actually uh, no, it wasn't that bad. Um, and you got to understand, you're only you're you're, you're sitting on like seventy cc's. Yeah. Like a little single cylinder seventy cc. It's all uh, you're not. You, you, there's not a whole lot out of that. Now I will say I, I, I looked into the little little kits not that long ago, and they've been out for so long. And even when I had them, like there were there were people making little mitre shots for them. There was people that raced these things. They would build them and race them. Um, but people have come come out with a way to make the engine 
drive your actual bicycle chain along with still having the slide and hold with the pedals but still being able to engage but with that allows you to use the factory shifting of gears on the bike and people are getting getting a lot a lot more out of them because now you can gear all the way down to your lowest lowest gear at a stop sign and then just ease the clutch out and give it some gas and go uh-huh. because you've kept the engine going and then shift gears and just keep on winding man yeah man well some of those vehicles uh, I had a friend this was back when I first moved back up to this area from uh, from the coast and uh, I got hung up in mud racing yeah and uh, he was real big into that and I got up under, we were co-workers. I had uh, come back to the job that I had left when I left. It was uh, in East Columbus at Electric Motor Sales and Service. My co-worker at the time, he was he was uh, out of Sullivan and they had that mud racing track over there. And um, so I, hell, it was a good time. And uh, I ain't never had a bad time with the kind of women that was out there. And... Uh, I ain't never had a bad time with the kind of people that was there. And uh, it just happened to be the kind of event that they were all into, and they weren't looking for any kind of trouble. And it wasn't like, dude, back when I first started playing music, it ain't open now, but you remember that little state line bar like you said at the Vernon on yeah. the right? Yeah. I was in there one night when I, dude, I was like 16, 17. Not even old enough to be in there. I remember... Uh, a buddy of mine, an older guy, he was uh, he was playing there that night. He invited me out. And he's like, I'll call you up on the stage and I'll let you play a few songs. And that place was rough, dude. And this was back, God, no, oh, maybe 2006. It was like the, the, the coffin on the nail for that place. And I remember during that time period, it went under new management and they opened it up and they had the same issue. And it went under new management. They would fix it up, and it had the same issue. It was just drawing the same kind of crowd that was just wanting to be rowdy and fight. You know, it was like what Merle Haggard or whoever else was talking about when they come to an old hick bar. Yeah. And that night I was there, dude. I mean, that was some of the wild. I saw a dude. I was playing guitar and singing, and, like, right in front of me, like, maybe back to the back end of that fridge, the guy was playing pool, and the other guy didn't like it. And well, he walked off, thought he was cooling out. He grabbed a bar stool and smashed it over that dude's bike, and it back, and it was on. And I ain't never seen so much chaos and clothes at one time. <laughs> Man, you know, and it's funny how that how that happens. Um, there was a. Uh, there was a night at a local bar that uh, that an uproar just happened out of nowhere, and uh, it was like the outside porch was peaceful, calm. Yeah. Everybody's having a drink, having a decent time, and like two people bumped into each other, looked at each other sideways. And the entire 
outdoor bar oh. was and immediately in a full out brawl. It was clicked up. I mean, yeah, just in utter chaos. And the mm-hmm. and the crazy thing is, is like the the band that was playing inside had just went on break, and I went out back through the through the uh, through the patio to smoke smoke a square with the with the drummer and just kind of check out. And when we went out there, we both immediately like kind of uh, looked at one another because it just kind of had that that thickness in yeah. the air of like some <laughs> something just went down. Something something was permeating inside. Yeah. And uh, and it was almost good to be and outside. Saw the security like drag somebody in like on the on the way out and like it's like okay yeah there's remnants of like whatever happened hmm we go out back and continue to light up a cigarette and all of a sudden like i hear commotion again and i pop my head up in and the whole place is back up in another commotion oh yeah because i didn't get to see the first one but like it's just it is wild to see just that at the drop of a hat mm-hmm. it's rare but i don't see it which um I'm very picky on where I'll hang out. I'm way more picky than I used to be. That's a fact. And I, I haven't seen it in a long time. And even with the events and the things that I do, man, I'm, I like putting events together. Uh, just and I, I like to keep it free too. But uh, if you want to come, come. But uh, leave your drama at the house. I mean, right. And just come enjoy whatever whatever the offering is. And go on about your business. And we'll talk about it tomorrow. Or maybe we'll talk about it a month later. I don't know. I just hope you enjoyed yourself. But if you come in there with some drama, man, I ain't got no quarter. Right. And those, the last, uh, the last porch fest we did, and the new one's up April, April 12th and 13th. But, uh, the last one we had is, uh, the chick, uh, while waiting in line to go to the bathroom, just decided to use it while waiting in line. And then, shortly after that debacle, uh, which she was removed, came back, yeah, and uh, decided to try and pick a fight with the sweetest person out of probably the 150 people that was there. And, uh, like, thankfully nothing happened. Uh, and right when I saw it, it was going down right in front of me, and I was about to start taking care of it. And here come two of my guys, and, uh, they escorted her outside the gates and called her an Uber and got her home or wherever she said that Uber should take her. And, uh, that's how I try to treat everything that I do it's like if you if you get to acting up uh, we're gonna we're gonna take you outside and we're gonna we're gonna send you on your way right I don't care if you got your vehicle or not you ain't driving you about to and I'll pay for your Uber but you ain't staying here right you can come back later right well you know um he was talking earlier about uh, 
being, you know, too young to be in the bars and all, all oh, yeah. that good stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, we think back to our kids being, or our, our childhood and listening to our grandparents and our parents, you know, telling us, you know, all things were different back when I was your age and, and all that good stuff. And now here we are, both 33. And I'm thinking back to, you know, being 14, 15. Uh-huh. Hanging around Zachary's, you know, after after kitchens shut down, um, you know, open mics and stuff like that, you know, playing horn, bass. Um, things were different. <laughs> sure seemed that way. Um, things were different. Um, and then, you know, uh, Columbus came out with the, uh, the whole cigarette smoking ban uh-huh. and they made all the, they made all the local bars, um, choose if they were going to allow or permit smoking inside or not. And, um, if they did, you, if, if, if that bar chose to allow smoking indoors, then, um, you had to be 21 to enter now. And I thought it was funny the time frame that that happened to happened to hit because like I I just turned eighteen. Oh, nothing go. And I could go buy a pack of smokes, and I could smoke them, and I did. But because the bar that I wanted to go into and play music into um, decided to keep it smoking, decided to keep it smoking. I couldn't go in. <laughs> <laughs> Not legally anyway. Not legally anyway. Uh, so it's kind of funny how, how I, I hate that like now, that dude. Like, uh, I've been guilty of it this football season. If uh, my Crimson Tide had like a a noon game or a two thirty game, yeah, I'd go down to Buffalo Wild Wings and I'd sit at the bar and watch them. And uh, happened. I got away with it the first time, I guess, but the second time I was there doing it, um, I stepped out on the patio to smoke. I looked on all the tables. I didn't see an ashtray. I was like, well, ain't, maybe ain't nobody smoked today. It's kind of early. I was sitting down having a cigarette, and uh, one of the waitresses walked out and said, sir, uh, there's a sign. And I looked. said, no smoking on the patio. And I said, I can't smoke outside. Right. And she's like, no, sir, new city ordinance. And I was like, what do I need to do? Do I need to, do I need to leave? <laughs> well like not to be that guy um, but like let's say that you were on the sidewalk that's you know a whopping five feet from a parking spot parallel parking spot on the side of the road and you're in your truck with the window down yeah whose property are you on at that point are you on yours because you're sitting. My vehicle, as far as the law, Mississippi is concerned, is an extension of my home. And yeah. due to that fact, I very much see it as such. So, 
They already trying to beat the system again. Yeah. We're dealing with some uh, puppy dogs. Yeah. And they, uh, look at them, they're being fast. Well, they're smart enough to know what's up. <laughs> um, yeah, I got, got two dogs. Uh, they ain't even no food in here, boys. Right. They just want good company, huh? Well, you know, they're good, used they's, to... they's good company everywhere, man. Right. They're used to being right next to me all the time. But, uh, anyway, I think we got that under control now. Yeah, but, yeah, I was, And she's like, well, like you said, you can go out and sit in your truck and come back. I was like, man. No. I finished that one. Walked back in, had a couple more beers. And I just left. And I tried another level joint like that. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to go catch my favorite team, play ball. And then I was walk-ons in Starkville. And I was like, man, I want to go outside and have a cigarette. And right at the patio entrance to walk out. No smoking on patio. And I was like... What the hell? <laughs> right. Man, I th- and I'll be honest with you, dude. If there's a dive bar or a bar period in, in a town that I'm visiting and I can smoke in there, that is the number one spot I'm going to go. I mean, I, I get it. <laughs> I've never, you know, even... Though, I love a smoky bar. I mean, <laughs> there, there is a... Uh, I think I think is uh, I think it comes with being a musician to have that part of you that has that nostalgic mm-hmm. smoked out bar gig that you've done that you, you know was just a great 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 folk and it'll never come again <laughs> right but you're hoping right I've had a few of those and I think that yeah that is what it goes to man. Right. It's like you're in that little dive bar. You're sitting at the bar. Beer at the bar. You're talking just fine. You and the person you're talking to both have a cigarette. But if you look up in the slightest, there is a haze of smoke above you. Oh, man. Thick. And the walls are tinted in nicotine. Uh, uh, Yeah. And the ceilings that used to be white are stained yellow. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's dimly lit, and the music is always ridiculously good. And you got a, yeah, it's. How'd you get into it, man? Like, I know. Well, you know. Uh, Music's always kind of run with you, huh? So. Comes with a name. To a degree, and you know, the sad thing is, I wouldn't, and I've told you this before, I wouldn't even con- really consider myself a musician anymore. I mean, I dabble. Um, I still enjoy coming out, you know, to Munson's on our uh, open mics and, and yeah. hanging out. But you know, I, I dude, just, uh, I call myself a wannabe. <laughs> I mean, right? Um, and I'm not even sure if I want to be. Right? I mean, just I think kinda, that's a, I think that's part of it that a lot of people don't really want to talk about is the, you know, it's it's fun, yeah, but it's a lot of work. I found my guy that just likes making things happen for other people. Right. Right. Like I, I don't mind hosting that open mic. Knowing that if it's a three-hour event, in the worst, I'll have to play two hours of it. Yeah. 
But at the very best, maybe I don't have to play at all. And I can just chill. I can I can just enjoy. Right. And let people cut their teeth. Or let somebody try something new. Or maybe uh Steven and Brent they ain't never played together and they just met and Brent's about right. to get up there on the man though. Right. You know? Here comes Wes with the stand up, dude. Oh, you kidding me? We got somebody out here that can do a fiddle? Right. Now I'm hungry. Let me get up there and get a little piece of this action. Right. You got a little magic sometimes, man. That's really how we met. I mean, right. Through that. Uh, Well, absolutely. And, you know, music's always been a tremendous part of my life. Uh, I feel like you're here recently, and it's it's funny that I'm about to say this, because, like, Brad, our good buddy Brad. Shout out, baby. He, um. Good people. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I send him stuff just like I send you. Um, and he's always asking, he's like, man, where do you find music? And it's like, you, you hunt for it. You, I ain't asked, dude. I just assume, like, with everything that you have sent me so far, it sounds, it sounds like, uh, I got Apple Music on my phone. Yeah. And, Same. uh, I don't. I use that way. I pay for Apple Music, so I don't pay for Spotify. So I don't really use Spotify. I went. I had both at both at one time. But um, I, I do use Spotify because I think it's like superior. It's superior audio, and it's also a superior playlist. And also, like if you and I are friends on Spotify, and you create a playlist, I can I can get into what you're what you're doing. Right, and uh, and Apple really don't offer that. So much. I feel like they're starting to they're, dip they're, a toe into that in, in, into that thing. But um, what I was going to say about Apple Music is like, let's just say I'm I've been listening to Amos Lee, and I had you know most of his discography downloaded, and I and I just so happened to run out of Amos Lee. Well, here comes Damien Rice, right? And then here comes maybe Nathaniel Rateliff without the net sweats, and then you have Daniel Romano out of Canada. Yeah, and then next thing you know, here comes somebody I've never heard who is writing that pipeline. Right, that's, and that's why I never asked like where it comes from. I was like, "You like Turnpike Troubadour? I mean, you I like mean, and like every time you send me somebody, I was like, I haven't heard of this, but this is right in line with right like, in what line. we what, what we, we like. Do. Yeah, what we what we like, and and you know, it's it, it, it's funny because it's uh, it's things that that style is like what is what is grabby right now but obviously throughout the years and even even now i have and playing multiple instruments i have a wide variety of of interest musically um rock and roll is only fun so much to a horn player yeah i mean yeah we can have some fun but like that's that's when I want to start getting into some soul and jazz and blues and 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 really let that thing swell like it can. I tell you, dude, like uh, every day for the past three weeks, Miles Davis, the song, It Never Crossed My Mind. Oh, yeah. What a number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Uh, and I've been going back to uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Especially like this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Why not? It's, and I and I won't say that it's it's not replicated or still done by original musicians of the day, 
But there is just something about the classic. There is. Um, I thank God for Billy Strings, right? I think he's a big call for the resurgence and um, a lot of the people who are out at the open mic and the the style of. You know, I wonder if sometimes it's like Brad, which I know he's he's got a curious mind. But what led him down the rabbit hole of? Yeah, I play banjo. Or now, I'll, yeah, I learned how to tune a piano. Or, you know, whatever else. And I was like, is it the music that he's listening to and his influences, or was he being naturally drawn that way anyway? You know, um, I... And that's probably a Brad question. <laughs> I believe that that is, is a Brad, Brad question. I think... But what about you and your approach? I mean, you, you said, yeah, I'm a hard rock guy, but I'm also a horn player and I like jazz. Right. Well, so that's that's gonna have to start getting into like my background of like when when I started getting an interest in music and and all that good stuff. So my family is very much music music influenced as you could say, on both, both sides. Um, my grandfather, uh, James Wayne Gibson was, uh, the, uh, the manager and he played, uh, saxophone and clarinet and all kinds of stuff for, uh, Wayne Gibson and the Rhythm Rockers way, way, way back in the day. And they were, hmm. they were the, they were a, uh, they were a dance band like the officers club and and you know any of the the functions uh, as a matter of fact he's he's <laughs> he's told me stories of uh going and playing at uh fraternities back in like i want to say like this would have been like in the 50s and that's the excuse for why some people are here today you're right um <laughs> but he he was playing you know frat houses at uh university of alabama yeah and uh <laughs> one of his band members at the time had a had a daughter in high school that was you know getting ready to go to oh, no. go off to college she was already at college <laughs> no oh. no but um the only place to go to the bathroom so he tell, told, as he tells the story, is uh, you had to go down in the basement and like walk across in between, like all these people laid out screwing one another to get to the, to the bathroom. Mercy. And I think he said it was his basis. Uh, can't be held fully accountable quote, accountable on that. But one of his uh, one of his bandmates just didn't say a word the whole way, and geez, somebody finally asked him, and he's like. I don't care where she goes, but she's not going to the University of Alabama. It used to be, it, it used to be part of school. Central. I mean, right. It was uh, Florida State and Alabama, and uh, oh, during that time period, hell, even Oxford was ranked high. But Alabama, for the longest time, had a reputation and right. I have for it. Right. Yeah, dude. Uh, I played some frat parties, and I've seen some. I've seen some things. So. Right. Ab- ab- absolutely things get a little wild <laughs> anyway like back to your music back yeah now. so 
my uh, my mom also uh, played flute and uh, baritone ukulele. As a matter of fact, it's the one the the baritone ukulele that I have in my uh, office slash music room is uh, is, is hers. She <laughs> she used to uh, borrow my granddad's uh, you know um, tape recorder. Yeah. And would write songs and and uh, record herself singing them and stuff like that. And uh, one year for Mother's Day, we uh, we took mom out. Me and my brother took mom out to the bar and we actually uh, played one of her songs uh, for her live on stage. And that was kind of cool. Um, <coughs> I bet it was. But um, also, my dad. Um, he was a uh, bass player and uh, sang harmony for a uh, local band back in the day by the name of Rowdy. And they had a business card, you name it, we played it. Challenge accepted. Right. Um, and, um, you know, they they played around in all the honky-tonks. You know, given by the time uh, me and my brother rolled around, uh, Dad settled down and Started uh, working United Technologies and taking care of kids and wife and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, anywho, so I've I've got um, heavily music influence deep rooted on both sides of my family. So at an early age, I want to say it or by the time I was in like third or fourth grade, my uh, my mom put me in piano lessons. Um, at this point in time, I was living in Guntown, Mississippi. My uh, mom and dad had split. And uh, my grandmother, my mom's mom, Ema, was taking me every other week, I want to say, uh, to Boonville. Oh, yeah. To uh, get piano lessons. And uh, long story short. Classical? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, man. I've seen some. But the. The, 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 the problem that we had is I never really practiced um, and I was bored. Um, I was still, you know, very, very early on. I want to say just a few, like a month or so in, a couple of months in. And, um, you know, they were, I wanted to be more. Rock and roll. Yeah, more, more times than not, like, once I could hear how it was supposed to be played and then read what it was, I could I could just do it. I might might make a mistake every now and then, but like it wasn't it happened it, a little it, accident. Right. It wasn't uh you know, hot cross buns is not necessarily uh the most entertaining thing to play on repeat. <laughs> um I remember when we were first getting started, man. And it was probably because we were screaming and hollering and we were trying to be pumped. But uh, when we first got internet at my grandma's house, my bedroom was the last hall on the right. And I remember me and my buddies, we were trying to figure that whole music thing out. And uh, I could hear family down the hall laughing at us. You know? I mean, yeah. And, you know... 
I didn't say anything, and I didn't know if he heard it. And maybe, maybe not. Don't matter now. We're both fairly successful with what we do. It didn't impact it. Right. But that night, I was thinking about it, and I was like, "Yeah, it has to be annoying to hear the same thing over and over and over, and up oh. to a point where it has to be laughable." And on on top of that, I bet it sucked. <laughs> I mean, props to my parents for putting up with it. Um, cause I mean, um, both mom and dad put up with trumpet squeals and squawks and everything else trying to get out Glenn Miller. Oh, dude. And you remember like <laughs> and, uh, anytime you learn something kind of raunchy on something, oh, you're right. going to wear it out. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Well, there was, uh, I won't never forget when I learned how to make my electric guitar wine. Well, I must have done it a thousand times in a row. <laughs> right. Uh. <laughs> you know what so, I mean? Right. And I can only imagine, like, with a horn, like, right when you start learning how to bend notes. Your... Oh, yeah, man. Um, and, you know, listening, listening to things like Big Band Swing and Motown mm-hmm. and all the classic soul and hearing that that style by the time I was given a horn and knew how to make a noise out on it I was already like real quick picking up on how to make it how to make it bend mm-hmm. um, you know what's the lowest I, I can cleanly put out without it being distort and not quite making a note and over time, how well can I make that low lower note than what's supposed to be their sound? And how low can I get it with nothing but armature? Um, so horns a little, you know, crazy like that because it's 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 fully your your lips that are that are creating that that tone based off the the pressure of wind that's being pushed behind uh-huh. it. But um, I was in. I want to say I was in fifth grade, and around here locally back then, they started beginner band in school at like sixth grade. Is you a little recorder? No, not even that. You would actually Um, be stepping into your instrument. Right. Uh, What would happen is, is uh, about halfway through the year, towards the, maybe like the last, maybe like the last quarter of the year, your fifth grade, fifth grade year, the, uh, the band director would come out and you would actually take like a little quiz a side test um uh, like play different tones can you did can you dictate if that tone if that pitch was higher or lower than the last i was such a dickhead when i was in fifth grade <laughs> i think we all were i mean i think like some people probably were into it well right so Man. my brother my brother played horn my, my brother played trumpet for a little bit he, he played uh i want to say like two years and got got done with it so i already had a horn a hand-me-down horn and i thought horns the trumpets were like you know the shit um yeah yeah they, they are i mean right they still are they, absolutely um <laughs> and uh, so he had over the summer he had kind of taught me you know a few little like uh stands tunes go team go stuff like that but He's warmed up, keyed up for the audition. Right. 
you pass by the, the time, test? by the time, of, yeah, I passed the test with flying colors. But by the time, like it was, it was time for like beginner band to learn how to play go team, team go. I could do the run down instead of the run up an octave higher. Uh, he was bored. Right. Right. So by Christmas, my sixth grade year, I began marching with Saltilla High School. Hey, about them apples. And that's pretty much the remaining of my I, I never dealt I still dealt with like middle school band but I was also just permanently a member of the high school even once I moved back down here um, to Columbus with my dad um, within the first week of being in 7th grade band Miss Blaylock uh, she came to me and she's like, yes, yeah, so you're bored and I need a horn on the field. Come. And I'm like, yay, thanks. During, <laughs> during all that time, was it horn only or was like strings still? Uh, so at that time, strings weren't really a thing yet. Oh, not at all. With the exception of that baritone ukulele? Not even. Um, at that point in time... I really didn't play bass. Hadn't really begun to really try bass. My both my dad and my brother had tried to teach me how to play guitar, and like my fingers just didn't bend that way. Um, oh yeah. That it. Yeah, he's talking about keys to. I mean, we're talking about valves and keys to frets. Frets, and that that just didn't click. My hands hurt, and like. Screw that. <laughs> it was kind of my my thought process. Well, dude, it's like one thing that I've learned. Like, uh, I've been god-awful about it, but I bought a banjo just to learn how to I, play how to play a banjo because a lot of the singer-songwriters that I listen to... Banjos. You can tell that they're not approaching a guitar like it's a guitar. Mm-mm. They're approaching it like it's a banjo. Right, and like after I got to listening to a full a few of them, and then I just so happened to get to know some of them and was able to ask. I was right. Right, I was like you're 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 playing that guitar like it's a banjo, <laughs> like the way that you're. And I'm not talking about the fret hand. It's not near as important as what you're doing with your. Right, it's the it's the picking hand. It's your picks. And, and, and see, like I I I'm, I'm sure that you've that you've noticed. I have a I have a very interesting pattern and rhythm to the way that I strum and play. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from a mixture of the styles of music that I that I was really into um, when I was trying to learn how to play guitar. So things like the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, but also by the time that I was trying to learn to play guitar... I'd already taught myself to play bass with the help of some other musicians along with my dad giving me some, you know, hookups and oh. all that. Um, but I, I learned bass old school finger style. I didn't play with the pick. Um, if I needed it to have a more aggressive sound, then pluck it a little bit harder and let the tip of my fingernail hit it. 
I play get that I like most guitar players do I play uh, I approach bass like it's a guitar right and you can tell like you, you can tell when a guitarist has a bass in their hand but like when a guitarist begins to own the style you can step into something that is and and that's where like I kind of found it and like I've landed a lot of hot shot gigs just because of the way that I approach bass. You're right. It's like, and I'm not for everybody. Mm-mm. Like, a lot of people don't like it. Like, when when it comes to playing, because, like, I've, you put me and a good lead guitar player together, you don't need a rhythm guitar player anymore. Right. Because not only am I going to hold the bottom, I'm also going to be able to carry a little bit of that melody. Right. Right. And so, like, the job's over. <laughs> it's just me and a lead guitar player because he's, he's playing off me now. Unless, unless you need to fill the, fill, the, fill the spot with a little bit of mandolin chime in every now and then. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> or a little banjo mm-hmm. twang, but as far as the guitars. We had harmonica. Covered, I mean, right. Um, I get it. Well, I mean, it's just like that, uh, that song I sent you uh, the other day. The only thing that's really in that, other than like some vocals and a, and a little and an effect and stuff, mm-hmm. is uh, what what sounds. I haven't looked into it, but it sounds what it sounds to either be a full on banjo or a banjitar, um, an upright, and vocals. I got a song I want to show you. Um...
something strange in the cold sips of wind. We're back. Stephen Hunnell is still here with me. We are in the closing of the show. Man, just talking about music is uh I think what it, when it comes down to making it is different for everybody. Absolutely. Like right. uh I am content with uh, I've got two CDs worth of songs recorded of mine and if someone asks me I'll burn them with a CD and then, you know if you really enjoy it and that that means the world to me and that's all I care about and also like what you did here at your place hey one night we're gonna invite a whole bunch of musicians over here and just see what happens look there's a there's I, that is that is making it to me I've made it there's a just to touch on that a little bit, there's there's a beautiful thing that happens when you invite as many musicians, like-minded musicians, as on top of that for the most part. As far as like, dude, it was like every almost everybody there that night was. I mean, right, <laughs> um, and or at least a music lover. Right, so I'm trying to think of who showed up that night that actually wasn't a musician. Um, I know that Hunter's wife, um, I don't think she plays anything, but I think she wants to. Um, but Hunter, you know, he, he, was a, he was a fellow trumpet player back in, back in high school. Didn't know that about him. Right, uh, bad, bad dude. Um, I was hot back in the day. Ain't, ain't nothing now. <laughs> but, I feel like a shadow of my former self a lot, dude. Man, tell me about it. I understand. Well, when you get older and you, you got to go to work and pay the bills, and yeah. you don't have near the dedicated free time to a lot of your, your personal hobbies as you once once did. Oh, dude, like um, my senior year in high school and my college years, that was the best I was at guitar. Now, oh, absolutely. And, and now, in exactly what you said, simply because I had time. <laughs> right. And yeah. and now, like uh, if I, like earlier, man, we were sitting back there in the game room, and I picked up your guitar and I started playing some more complex pick picking songs that I hadn't played in a while. And I was like, if I sat around and picked around on this for just hmm, five more minutes, I'd be tuned back, like riding a bike. Mm -hmm. I'd be right back. But my problem now is, uh, and I'm big on it, dude, is practice. Whether you feel like it or not, give it, even if it's just 15 minutes, 30 minutes, and I would say at the most, just an hour a day. Just sit with it. Even if it doesn't feel like you accomplish anything, 
even if it felt pointless, you spent, you got in there. Right. You know, in the, in the, in the context of fitness is like, I'm about to, I'm about to beat a mile out of this pavement. Right. Same thing with, I'm about to put some fingers on these frets. I guess the, I guess the thing that I struggle with the most is there's so many instruments that I've dabbled in. Oh, dude, every time I hang out with you, I learn something new about, like, oh, dude, by the way, I used to play the (laughs) (laughs) Banjo-Kazooie. Like, holy holy crap, dude. there's uh, There's a video floating around somewhere of, of me sitting in my my bedroom um, at my at my computer with a webcam, and all I had was a little, you know, webcam with a mic built into it, uh, and uh, I was learning some uh, some Irish pub rock on oh. banjo because uh, that was uh, it was fun, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh, somewhere there's a video of me just sitting there with a with a kick drum and a banjo, like playing around, playing and singing Irish pub. Because why not? <laughs> yeah. um, but I guess so. Early in in, I guess around the same time that I was I was I was going, I guess about my my third year in in band like school band playing playing trumpet i started to take an interest in bass um so i started learning bass lines and stuff like that and there was a point where you know after school pretty much all i did was if if i didn't come out of my room to eat or go to the bathroom (laughs) was pretty much lock myself in my room with headphones on and my dad's uh, acoustic bass and just putting in the work yeah I, I would play I would I would play complete albums from start to finish I remember those days right um, and if I wasn't doing that then I was playing something on horn uh Every now and then, like meet up with my brother and like him and his little jam local local jam band group be be playing something, pull out the trumpet and just add to it. Cause I mean, how many people you know like just play a trumpet by ear? Yeah, for sure. They don't. <laughs> I mean, not surely not on the local market. Right. Not yeah. Not not really around here that I'm aware of. Yeah, dude. Horns are. I'll tell you something about horns. Horns aren't cheap. Well, no, I've never been in the market. Well, it's. Uh, I mean that from the player aspect, like getting a band big enough together to support horns. Oh yeah. As far as the the venue, paying the band is not cheap. No, dude. I remember. You know. The biggest band that I was a part of at one time we had six people and you're doing three four hour sets with a three maybe four what was the makeup if you don't oh yeah yeah it was a nightmare uh, you had a drummer a bassist yeah 
uh, two guitars, piano, and a frontman. Yeah. And by the time you done three, four hours set, three, four hundred dollars split in six ways. Ain't. Yeah. And if you had a if you had an appetite or if you was thirsty, it wouldn't be nothing to walk out empty handed or lose money. Right. <laughs> so a dream team that I've always wanted to have is you know, obviously you're a good bassist, a solid drummer. Gotta have somebody on the keys. Gotta have a lead guitarist. Mm-hmm. Gotta have at least a vocalist. Preferably, you're gonna want somebody that's playing an instrument to be capable of throwing down some solid harmonies. But then you start you start looking into a trumpet player, a trombone player, and a saxophonist. That's a big band nowadays. Mm-hmm. Now, back in Wayne Gibson and the Rhythm Rocker days, that was standard equipment. That was typical. <laughs> I mean, that was just... Yeah. You didn't have a band if you didn't didn't have that. I know, um, I know a few bands that do that now. Two of them are on the coast area. But, uh... And I don't, I, I don't, I couldn't say because I wasn't there. But I don't think it's changed a whole lot between, let's just say, the 1980s to to today, to today, with how bands are paid or played. Right. Uh, it takes a whole lot of maturity and a whole lot of restraint because, like, when you have a band, especially if you think you're great. You want to play as often as possible, and it's fun and it's it's great. But uh, it's important to be able to tell yourself no, especially if it ain't paying something desirable. Right, it is. And I'm not and I'm not saying that you know you have to. Uh, sometimes it's it's okay to take an L, but uh, a lot of times it's good to be exclusive. And in the pick in the picky battles, and maybe instead of playing live, y'all ain't doing nothing on a Saturday night, so y'all just sit down and practice, right? And hone the craft, right? Instead of playing that shot gig, you know, <laughs> right? You know, uh, I think that uh, taking an L, so you say, yeah. Sometimes I think that sometimes I, it's good to take it on the shin, man. I don't think it's I I don't think it's sometimes good. I think that it's uh I think it's a necessity at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um get reminded. Right. Um I, I think I think in today's time we see a uh what's the proper way to say it? Uh I think in today's time we see the product of a lot of people not not having taken that L. Yeah. Definitely. Of and I hate it because like oftentimes like 
the way that they're behaving is something I believe is how one should behave if they have the experience and the the wisdom of it. But at the at, at the place that they are now, it's like, buddy, you should be taking what you should give and you should be soaking a lot of things in. Oh, yeah, dude, it's... I've, I've I've contemplated on like starting a guild here, maybe in the golden, the greater golden triangle, and just just seeing if there would be any entertainment with that, to where we would band together and, uh, we we as a guild of musicians, we will not accept uh, anything less than this payment to play, da 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 for a number of hours, whatever, right? And then I hear some of the absurdities from. New kids on the block, really, and uh, man, more power too. And I mean, I love, I love the the fire and everything that they have, but like, what they're demanding to be paid is not what they're worth. Right. And you can't talk to them because they already know everything. Right. And it's like, where have you got to go to learn something that I learned when I was seventeen? And how are you 23 and don't know this yet? <laughs> I was, uh, I want to say one of the most humbling without going into too deep, touching too, too deep into it. Um, about the most humbling experience I had as a, as a bass player, I want to say in my lifetime is, uh, showing up in a recording studio outside of uh, Nashville to lay down a album. Um, oh, boy. And uh, I, was, uh, I was in kind of like a pop rock band at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, given I played, you know, old school finger style. But I managed to still get that pop pop rod's gonna need a pick. I mean, right. But it don't have to. No, not necessarily. If if you can if if you can if you can get that click. Let me ask you this, with that band like it would seem like during that time, um I think Frank Zappa and other like drone rockers really had an impact on what I would call like pop rock. Yeah. And it would also like bleed into the punk punk pop. Yeah. Like a King's Leon. Right. To where there would be a drone. And it may not always be a guitar player doing it. Sometimes the bassist would be the drone. And I think that's when bass players began to pick up picks. Was when the the bass right. the bass leaned into being the let's say the, the song was in the key of G, well he would be thumping the G. But right. also, he may be grabbing the third. He might be going G C G C G C. Right. Or like G G G G C C C C C. And mm-hmm. he, he might go grab the fifth. But the, he would be he would be inside the box. Right. And he would be the drone. And I think that's why I like bass players began to play with picks. I don't know, and but I mean, you could argue metal. There's a lot of different ways we There's, could go. Right. And it really depends on who you are. I, I, that is probably my biggest stance right there. And your inspiration. Place. Right. Um, you know, um, Victor Wooten comes to mind. 
<laughs> the man can make a bass guitar sound like anything he wants it to sound like. Yeah. I very, very, very rarely see him with a pick in his hand. Uh, I'm blanking on the fellow's name. He recently passed. Uh, the cat from Dire Straits. Yeah. He never used a pick. Mm-hmm. But Knopfler. Martin Knopfler. Yeah. One of my favorite guitar players. Um. Uh, today's age, man, like it depends on where you're at. Right. Um. Uh, uh, trucks. Arguably, maybe one of the best guitar players alive right now. Of uh, John Mayer, he's good. Um, and there's a lot of, I mean, we could list. Right. Uh, John Frusciante. Chili Pepper action. Uh, I've seen those guys with and without picks, and they're just as mean with or without. Right. And I will say I'm horrible with a pick. It just I, feels funky in my hand. I don't use them. <laughs> I just, I, 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 there's, there's, there's a select few songs where like I'll be like, okay, let me, let me, let me pull out a pick, and 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 get like this. It's got to be like this. a blues traveler number, dude. It's got to um, be something where the tempo's up, and I know that, like, I mean, hell, you've seen me do it a couple times with those open mics. It's like I walk off stage after playing three songs, and I didn't split my thumb open, and I'm bleeding everywhere. <laughs> That's what super glue is for. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, who the hell is expecting to go that damn hard at open mic? Uh, I mean, right. Um, typically, if I'm if I'm playing guitar and you see me grab for a pick, um, believe it or not, I'm, I'm plausibly about to pull out some Slipknot. Hey. Just never know. But uh, back to the studio... You know, I, uh, I I traveled with my with my dad's original, like American-made Fender bass equipment. So I was I was rolling around the southern U.S. with like an original '73 Fender P bass and a '66 American-made original P bass with flat wounds and hip shot on it. <laughs> And that's what I rolled in. That's what that's what I rolled into Nashville with. And uh, it gets it gets look good, feel good, huh? Look good, feel good. Oh, I mean, I I thought so. I I sure (laughs) as hell thought so. Um, Every time we stopped somewhere to play, I'd open up the bass case, and like somebody that knew what was up would go, oh. Uh And uh, you know, I get up I get up to Nashville, and it's uh, it's the day for me to lay down tracks. And uh, I go out and grab my bass and pull it out the case, and I'm starting to tender it up. And uh, the producer turns the turns the chair around from the computer and the console, and kind of looks at me, and he's like, "Oh, what you got there?" So it's you know, '73 B bass, vintage American made, and he's like, "Huh." You got anything else? And that's exactly what my heart did. It was oh, just like, oh no, ah, and I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, what else you got? And I was like, I got a '66. No, that won't help. No, uh, just keep <laughs> this. All right. About two minutes later, after I've got everything tuned up, so I'm like, all right, I'm ready. He's like, all right, where's your pick? 
I was like, I don't have one. And he's like, what do you mean? Uh, you you got to play with a pick. Um, in order for me to get that, that track the way I need it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to need you to do a pick. And I'm like, well, I... Uh, I'm here to tell you that those base those base runs that I'm about to lay down, I'm not going to do with the pick. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I'm using three and four with my my fingers to do those, and like I'm not making that jump with a pick. Um, it's 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 not how I do it. It's not yeah. how I roll. Um, like, but you don't roll, right? <laughs> you ain't rolling um, no way, son. But you know, uh, at the same time, you know that was that was just like. Oh wow! Okay, so this dude don't think shit of my equipment, um, and that you know that was just humbling from <laughs> from my perspective. I had it's a, just like a, a down to earth moment. I had, I had a quite one. different experience, very similar to that. Um, when I was getting ready to cut the porch top record, I was using uh, got a groove out of Cleveland, Ohio. They were going to cut the records. And after uh, all the artwork, all the inlays, every, all the all the artistic stuff's done, uh, we picked out the way that the vinyl's going to look. Well, now's the actual content. What's going to be on it? What's on the lacquer? I was talking to the rep that got a groove. All right, Mr. Aldridge, um, do you have the tracks prepared? Are they ready to be sent over? Yeah. No problem. Okay. Oh, man, just to double check because we're running this from time to time. Um, who did you use to mix these tracks for vinyl? You're talking to them. You sure? <laughs> you sure, Mr. Aldridge? I said, uh... Well, I've been I've been in production for three, four years now. I've I do a podcast and I record a lot of people's music. Now granted it's kinda low fi, but yeah. I think I got everything the way I want it to sound. No. No. Uh so we have an in house guy and uh I'll send I can send you uh an estimate on what that'll cost. Or you can call somebody, but I don't even want to hear what you think is right. Right. Well, you know, there's a there's a there's a huge there there's a there's a huge difference in what you're what you're calling your your kind of lo fi. Yeah. And a needle. Oh hitting, yeah. Hitting a record. Hitting lacquer. You're right. <laughs> and he explained that real quick in a kind of way that I quickly understood that I had totally underestimated and overestimated myself. And so I called uh, called my buddy Abe. It's like, buddy, I will need some help. I need a producer. Right. And he had me somebody. Shout out to Sean Byrne. And um, great record. And uh, I give a lot of credit to Sean Byrne, especially when it comes to the actual content on it. All I did was put it together and produce. He edited and mastered, and Abe did all the artwork. Uh, I had the easy job. Right. <laughs> and and thank God for that humbling experience that I had, because I would have had something that sounded like absolute dog shit, probably. Right. 
Um, and you know, but it kind of goes back to that studio with that guy saying, "Yeah, you are holding a good piece of equipment, or yeah, you are holding a good recording, but uh, unless you know what to do with it, it ain't gonna do you no good, son." Right. Right. And uh, you think back to the guys that uh, were patching in reel to reel. I mean, think about that. You know, nowadays, and even even back then, when we're 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 talking like 2009, I was still in high school. Uh. I was just a kid. Um, but you go in and you miss up this you you mess up this one spot. You know, you going going back into this 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 chorus here. You know, you you. You missed the drop in, that 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 accent note coming in, but you did it perfect the one before. Well, I was just copy and paste it, and put it where it needs to be. <laughs> that's uh, that's not how things worked back. Mm-hmm. Used to be tape deck, right? And uh, before, well, before tape deck, it was, you know, going reel to reel. And before that, Dad, it was just live. It was just live. You were you were you were pretty much direct and like, record. And with today, dude, like um, I will say, with the technology, you don't have to be near as good as a musician as what you had to be until it matters. And right. and that's why, like, I, I have tape deck at home. I don't use it a whole lot, but uh, when I do, I mean it. Cause I mean. It's not like it's the most expensive thing to buy tapes. But it ain't necessarily easy to go to a studio either, or cheap. No, it's not. And so, like, when I mean business, put the tape deck on and let the tape tell it. Right. And so, and I've I've known a lot of people that have put, like, yeah, maybe that's what some people need. Maybe that's what we should do more often. You think you're bad? Let me put, cut that on tape. We want one shot of this, and we want we're we're doing it completely analog, no digital. You can't quantize anything. We're not gonna give you a drum machine. Everything that you're about to do, it's got to come out of you. What are you really made of? Right. Now, granted, that's a lot. It is, but you uh, should not be. Right. But then you look at people like Shaky Gray. You know what I'm saying? Like he can bring the whole house down by himself. By himself, one man band, one man band, and tear it up. Uh, you know, it's uh, and there's something beautiful and pure in that rawness mm-hmm. of just that raw recording. Mm-hmm. No effect, no, no extra outside. Post reverb, not a box, just you in the room, right? Maybe a ribbon mic or a condenser. Yep, what's you in the room? And then when you listen to it, uh, we were talking about this on a, a previous episode, probably the episode before this one with Logan Hogue. 
is uh, shout out to that. You'll have to listen to the previous episode to get his name because I can't remember, but uh, he bought the studio in Nashville, and this is where Chris Stapleton makes most of his records. But it's the same place where the Beatles would do uh, room recordings. Live as a band. Yeah. Uh, Studio 1A, and then Room 2, or however it broke down. Yeah. And, like, I don't know about you, but when I hear that particular sound, I know it. Right. And it... Hold up. Let's see what we got here. Right. It immediately gets you. You're hooked. That's the difference. Well, it's just like... uh... You know, I, I, I refer I refer to them often, the, the things that glow. Huh? We got a lot of, and, and I think that those, the, those are starting to make a, a comeback. Yeah. To a, to, to a certain extent. Yeah. But man, you think back to like uh, those old school tube amps from like 50s and 60s, early mid 70s. Yeah, I don't give a damn, dude. I don't, I don't care how good solid state gets. You will never be able to emulate the warmth. Or also, and, and here's a lot of things people don't think about at all. On a tube amp, you do need to turn it up to 11, so to speak. I mean, it, it, it's got to be cranked up a little uh, enough to get that. Get you want them tubes warm. You want them hot. Yeah. There ain't one way to get them hot. Yeah. And also, like, you get a you get a certain breakage. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, and once again, it's depending on your sound and what you want. And you may be deaf. Like, if you start doing that at 18, good luck with your hearing at 25. But uh, to get everything to break up and to do, can you accomplish that on solid state? Sure. But you gotta, you're going to have a pedal board. And you're gonna, there's a whole lot of emulation. Right, but there ain't nothing like having a tube red hot when you done dimed out the volume in that. It's screaming at you. Right. Well, that cat's purred up, son. It's ready to roar. Ain't nothing quite like it. And Peavy used to know how to do it well here in Mississippi. Right. And I noticed what happened when it moved out of Mississippi. It quit purring. Yeah, it did. Um, you know, there was there was. And this is coming from somebody who's not a big PV fan. I'm not anymore. I never really have been. But uh, I will tell you how how I see it. Great bang for the buck. Couldn't beat it for the money. Hmm. Solid. Withstood gigging for years and years and years what and years. What was your ideal sound, around. dude? Huh? What was your ideal sound? You know, it used to be a Fender Reverb for me. And then for a time I fell in love Fender with... Fender Twin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Deluxe. Uh, yeah. If you had a buddy that had one. Oh. See, I didn't have to have a buddy to have one. You had one. I didn't, but family did. Yeah. Family still does. Yeah. And also, <laughs> like, a, uh, it, it, I fell in love with the British side of things. And then you had your Marshall sound versus your Vox sound. Right. I was I lean I lean Marshall I lean Marshall for a long time. Yeah. And then I went Vox, and then I fell in love for the Orange for a little while. Orange has Orange has a unique sound to it. I fell uh, in love with it quick. 
my brother, <laughs> my brother's got a uh, a tiny tear. <laughs> the, the cube, huh? The cubes? Um, no, no. This is this is pre that. Um, this is pre that. This is this is pre that. I uh, he ain't gotta do all that, dude. Um. He, uh, exactly we said the key word, and he stood up and had to do the macarena. Nate, you're right. Um, too many pockets. <laughs> but um, I don't forget exactly which, which model it is. But uh, pretty decent little amp for, for what it was. Um, as far as the bass setup, man, I always liked an Ampeg. Uh. That seems like a pretty good place to put a pin in it. Steven, I got three questions for you, and we'll walk out of the door. Hopefully I got three answers. We'll see. Of What was your most memorable show you've ever been to? Probably, probably the first time I saw Shovels and Rope live. What was that impression? Just <laughs> the amazement of what those two together were cre- were creating on stage. Well, they were so full of sound, weren't they? Not only that, but changing out instruments. Like, uh, uh, they started out the show and, you know, <laughs> she's playing she's playing the drums with, with one one hand and, and her feet and playing a playing a keyboard with her with her other hand and singing all the way through. And he's over there playing that guitar and singing along with her the entire time and filling in the gaps of that harmonica and then like halfway through the show just decide yeah let's just change places <laughs> and you know that's uh I don't know just the the connection that they had with one another on stage and to be able to emit that through those speakers not only just the sound, but the soul and the spirit behind it was was beautiful, uh-huh. and it was uh, it was very memorable. Oh uh, yeah. Question two, and it ties into three. What was your favorite part of this conversation? Huh. Mine was the opening with table sauce. Opening with 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 table sauce. Yeah, table sauce is a pretty good one. I don't know, man. I enjoyed the whole thing. Ties into number three. Will you come back? Absolutely. Hi, right, everybody. You heard it here first. This has been another episode of Porch Talk. Rate and review the show. Thank you so much for stopping by. Stephen, thank you so much for your time, hospitality, and for supper uh, from you and yours. Uh, take care, everybody. Love you. Stephen, I'll see you, buddy. Thanks for having me.
$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. 